welcome to the Procurement Games Podcast and Open Conversations, where we post the question, is the field ever leveled in our favor? Of course, we are talking about procurement and contracting of minority women and veteran-owned small businesses deemed to be the underutilized firms in government and private corporation contracting. So, my name is Arlen Pingle, and I am a proud Filipina-American entrepreneur. I lead Mackey Company, a strategic consulting organization focused on procurement supply chain management. We basically help government agencies and private companies design race, ethnic, and gender-conscious contract policies and procedures. More importantly, we help folks like you build capacity, capability, and sustainability. We hope that with the stories we share of entrepreneurs like yourself, that you learn a thing or two to help you strategize for the win. Each week, we feature a minority, veteran, or women-owned small business. And once a month, we feature a trailblazer who is paving the way to help move us forward in this ever-challenging and changing world of procurement. In our studios today is Comfort Dondo, Executive Director of Pumalani, Minnesota, and the author of Facing the Giants, a recent publication that was released in October 2021. Right, Comfort? That's right. Excited to dive into that and learn a little bit more about what the book is about and the history behind it. But before we dive into all of that, what is comfort about? How did you get into what you're doing now? Because I still remember three, four years ago when we first met and you were just starting up and like, here you are, you got a book, you got an organization that's flourishing. How did it all start? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. So, so I come by way of Zimbabwe, born and raised, moved to Minnesota, specifically St. Paul in the middle of winter, February, 2004, I moved to St. Kate's, St. Catherine, then St. Catherine University, now university, St. Catherine College. And I was 17 with a very big dream and a small suitcase with no clue how I was going to accomplish the dream. And 18 years later, I'm now a a citizen of the U.S., giving back, you know, doing philanthropic work, and now a published author. I hear you. So what got you into entrepreneurship? Where did that come from? It was pain, Lynn. It was pain. I used my pain as a platform, as a Black immigrant woman, trying to navigate through the ecosystems, the corporate America, and or the nonprofit world, even in the spaces that felt like they, were, they should be safe because they understand diversity and equity. I realized soon enough, as I got immersed in the organizations, they very much mimic a lot of patriarchy, very racist, white supremacy centered um, kind of operations. So as a black immigrant woman, it was really hard for me to fit into these boxes. And I want to say I make quite not a great employee. And so I soon realized that I think I needed to be somewhere where I could create and be creative because I was trying to create in other people's spaces and that did not work. <laughs> so entrepreneurship was born. It was inborn. My mother is a teacher, a retired teacher, but an entrepreneur. My father was an entrepreneur. And so genetically I was an entrepreneur, but I was trying to run away from it for a while. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's hard, right? When it's ingrained in you and you know, you're supposed to go down that path, but you keep resisting because you know, that's what your parents would want. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Talk to me about Pumalani. What is Pumalani about? What's the inspiration behind that? And then tell me a little bit about like what services uh, does Pumalani provide to our community? 
Definitely. Thank you so much again, Lynn. Um, so Pumalani is a culturally specific nonprofit organization that was started in 2017 by myself as a survivor of domestic violence. That time I was homeless with three children and I had a vision to create a space that I would want to be with my kids. And that space was just a space I could share the pain I was going through without judgment. And so Pumulani was birthed out of that. I, I wrote a grant for my heart. I was at 3.33 in the morning and I just expressed to Bush Foundation what I wanted to see happening in my community that I wasn't seeing happening. Sure enough, they, they were adventurous enough to give me the grant. And that's how this, the work started. Pumulani itself means a lover of peace. I named it after my daughter. I wanted to create something that would be both on the physical space, do philanthropy, but spiritually have significance and a reminder for why I started the work. And I wanted to create a safe space for women who are historically marginalized and underserved to be able to come and be heard and not be told what to do and how to be as they were trying to figure out safety from abuse. But actually, I wanted to create a place that would women would come and they would get to show us how they wanted their healing to look like. That's amazing. Like you said, I remember your journey and your desire to absorb all of this information of how we start our business. Matter of fact, just a few days ago, I was looking at a picture of you redefining your mission and your vision statement on a whiteboard. Do you remember doing that? Oh, Lynn, you are going to make me cry. You know, when I was doing all of that, even some close people in my life were, were thinking I'm, I'm just, the term that they used was gallivanting. I'm all over the place. But in my spirit, I knew that I had to gather things in my toolbox. I'm a learner. Uh, I'm really big on academia. And so when I was coming to your workshops, it seemed like maybe it was not related, but I got a lot that I'm still using today as a, as a leader of an organization. But you know, the inspiration, especially when it's something impactful for us, is powerful. You know, that's the catalyst for most entrepreneurs, especially social entrepreneurs. Yes. Right. Who yeah. have the desire to do good, who have the desire to improve society. Mm -hmm. Domestic violence is a sensitive, sensitive issue. We don't want to face, maybe that's the better term. We don't want to face domestic yeah. violence. And as immigrants, mm -hmm. it's even harder. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of intersections, right, with it. Yeah. And yeah. culturally, we, we, we don't want to put our laundry out in the open. No, absolutely not. Once I started talking about what was happening, and I was, I was growing up and I had all the laundry out there. It was very scary, but it's been so healing because you cannot heal what you don't reveal. As long as it's in, it's in hiding, it's going, to, it's going to persist after generation after generation. And so um, I still respect the women who... Um, I might not be able to come out quite as much as loud as I do. I do on my social media, uh, in every platform, even the professional platforms, I do talk about domestic violence. Um, and for those women who still want to come, you know, in, in the in the back, talk about it, I still really commend them for even just speaking up. But you're right, Lynn, it's a complex topic. And over, over generations, uh, families have really kind of hidden domestic violence, sexual violence. And allow me to say this, Lynn, to your listeners. I think uh, we are heading a, a, towards a space and a time where there's a shift in the atmosphere. Uh, the world has really become a global village. I mean, this morning I was preparing for my United Nations speech on the 17th. I was speaking with a woman in Haiti, a woman, an American woman who's lived in, who has a sister in my home country of Zimbabwe, and two women in northern Minnesota. That's how global 
a village we have become. And so thinking about how we deal with domestic violence and how it impacts us, we, we really have to open up. We really have to start talking more. And I think as long as it's the behind the scenes, we really are not going to be able to address it. And I want to give you an example of some of the work that I've been doing with my organization globally. There's a, an all-women treaty that we are really, really advocating for. And this treaty is equivalent to the tobacco treaty. The tobacco treaty is what, what disallows people to smoke in any flight, whether you're flying from Africa, Asia, even Antarctica, you cannot smoke in flight. That is a universal law that everybody follows and you just know it exists because because there was a treaty put in. So we're trying to do the equivalent treaty on ending gender-based violence that in any country, whether there's a dictator, whether it's a third world country, as they like to call it, and uh, wouldn't that be a better world? And I that think it might, great world. might take away be? from might take away from the shame. So you bring a very important point. I think I, this is why we still have this issue persisting in this 21st century. So what does Pumalani services look like? To join the Pumalani family, to form a, a circle where it feels safe to speak about this. One of the programs that I really love that was birthed at the inception of our organization is called Women's Healing Circles. They mimic tea ceremonies or coffee ceremonies in Africa. Depending on which part of Africa you're from, our mothers used to do more cooperatives. Every Thursday, women met and they knitted or they raised uh, silkworms. They were so enterprising. They would just do some really amazing, random uh, uh, projects that earned them extra money outside of their professions. But these circles would allow women a safe space to talk and vent about issues that were going on at home. And those things would stay in the circle until they come back again every week. So we realized in the U.S., because of the immigration and just the nature of the way we work here, there's a lot of isolation. So many women who are going through abuse were in isolation. The other programs that we have include referrals. We just recently got a grant from uh, the Office of Justice Department uh, to really help women identify good quality, high quality lawyers that can represent them in their cases. If it's immigration and custody, because of COVID, there's been swamping of the legal aid system. The third program that we are adding on to our family is housing. Women who have been going through domestic violence have the right to choose whether they want to go to domestic violence shelter or they want to stay in community. And what does that look like for them? A place that offers their dignity and respect and they can still have their children and still have their humanity and their life and not to have to force them to go to a shelter where they might have, they might not be able to go with their sons. They can only carry their daughters. And sometimes there's age limit. And then for those things that we're not able to do, we have some amazing uh, collaborative uh, working partnerships with other programs. And I also want to say, Lynn, Pumalani was birthed in Minnesota. This is where we do most of our work, but we are very much a global organization. So we are doing a lot of policy work globally, including working with the United Nations to to change laws around the world. That's amazing. That's amazing. It kind of leads me to the conversation of the industry. Challenges did you face going into this realm, supporting domestic violence victims and sexual violent victims? I love that question because I think it's important to always address some of the gaps. For me, I would look at the domestic violence movement, anti-violence movement in general is rooted very much in feminist movement. And the people who started the feminist movement are historically um, middle-class to well-to-do white women. So the leadership in this movement, in this work has always looked very white. So have the policies and the structures of the shelters. In fact, did you know this? We actually have the first shelter in Minnesota. It's in St. Paul. That was the first shelter in the country. 
So that's how much Minnesota is very advanced and which I am so blessed to be in the state. Going back to the history of this movement, I think it's important for people to know. So as an African immigrant woman in a leadership role in this movement, it has been very challenging because I'm coming in on a different lens as a survivor. I'm coming in and I'm seeing the things that need to be fixed. And there's a, a whole... Um, generation of women who've been doing beautiful work, but that work needs a little bit of tweaking because the demographics have changed. And I always want to repeat this, the service provision of domestic violence service in Minnesota is amazing, but just some, some of it is no longer fitting with the demographics that we have in Minnesota. We have two of the largest African immigrant communities here in Minnesota, out of Mogadishu and out of Monrovia. So we have a large Liberian community, a large Somali community, to just name a few. About 22 African countries represented in Minnesota. If we look at our domestic violence providers, they don't reflect the communities served. Disproportionately, the women we find who experience violence are immigrant women. And so our leadership has to kind of match up, but right now it's not. So those are some of the challenges that we face. Uh, I cannot fight them alone. So it's, it's really, um, it's really been a challenge for me, but I'm, I'm willing to continue to and keep um, ad advancing for policy changes that matches the, the demographics that we have in Minnesota. The other challenge that I think we face in the movement, this is a nation that is rooted deeply in patriarchy and to change those cultures is really, really complex. But I have to say, for example, the Biden administration, they just passed VAWA, the violence Against Women Act renewal. So we do have effort with leadership that really honors the, the safety of women and girls. And I want to emphasize that comparing to where I was born, where women's rights are not seen as human rights, we're in a country that honors that to a large extent. So uh, besides the challenges, there's also a lot of good things that are happening. Absolutely. absolutely. So <laughs> what has success looked like for you? What has worked? Have you had mentors? Have you had support? Well, well first of all, how can I talk of mentors if I don't mention you, Lynn? You'll always be one of the women. Uh, they say you have a you have a concentric circle. You'll always be one of the uh, women in my, in my inner circle uh, because you have the clairvoyance of seeing past my present situation five years ago. I'm no longer the, this woman that was, you know, I was going through a lot of challenges but you saw the future with me, which I really want to thank you in front of everybody for that. Uh, what has been successful has, be, has been for me having amazing mentors. And some of them, have, they've come wrapped in, um, in paper that's shiny. Some of them have come wrapped in sandpaper. It's been really hard, um, but they had to tell me the hard truths. You need people like that. It's also been really difficult in a way during the pandemic. We had a lot of calls, a lot of women coming through without the capacity but again, kudos to our governor, our governor lieutenant. They stepped up to the plate. And I'm just so amazed at the, the humanity that is present in this state and just the amount of, of, of support. I would say, looking back, some of the things that I, I would have wanted would have been a form of, um, I'll say, a privilege. A privilege that many women like myself don't have. And that privilege is the ability to have enough resources to step back and actually be able to plan and be proactive instead of consistently being reactive. Um, I think this mimics our survival way of doing things in marginalized communities. We don't, when you don't have enough resources, you don't have enough time to sit back and reflect and plan. And we know that it is in the planning of the foundation that a beautiful, long, tall building is built. And I think for most of the community members that I serve, even the, co the community leaders that try to do similar work that we're doing, it doesn't reflect well on their outcomes, on their evaluation. It's not that they're not doing the work, but it's because yeah. they are consistently being in survival mode because yeah. of lack of resources. So those are my takeaways so far in five years. <laughs> One of the things that I think about 
when looking at businesses is how they got into it in the per- first place, right? Mm. You're passionate about it. So you start a business, but you may not necessarily know the foundation. You know, there's four core services in the businesses, my four pillars of business that everyone should know, but we don't necessarily have to pay attention to that because we know what we do. Right. And sometimes we have to bridge that that lack of knowledge to how do I run this business? How do we be profitable? How do we get the funding? How do we get the resources? How do we get the support? Mm-hmm. And we think because we know what we're doing, that that will come naturally. And yep. so we're, we get kind of like disillusioned and, you know, we get down on our luck because had we done it like we should have, mm-hmm. maybe we would not have struggled so much. Right. It's like mitigating risk. If we can limit the failures along the way, then it won't hurt so much. Exactly. (laughs) It's still okay to fail. And and it's acceptable to fail because it is a life learning lesson. We'd like to get to like halfway point before something goes awry, right? Absolutely. And, you know, the model in which you took with getting a mentor, you know, attending Mackey Company's classes, connecting with other women, connecting with subject matter experts in the industry, building relationships, that's Mm -hmm. helped you in your journey of building a solid foundation for Pumalani. Oh, relationships is everything. Yeah. I told someone recently, funders don't fund a project or an idea. They fund a person yeah. behind the idea. So it's, it took me five years to build some of the relationships that are paying off right now. Yeah. And that's that's the thing. You just said it. It took you five years. Yes. You know, you've been driving Pumalani for, uh, again, I remember you yeah. were writing vision and mission statements. Well, it took you five years to get to where you are because it was connecting and meeting and, you know, doing all the due diligence that you have to do to build relationships. And you didn't have to sacrifice anything other than time, right? Right. You know, put your best foot forward, put your best plan forward, present it and repeatedly keep going after it. Uh, Persistently and time, a lot of time put in. And discipline. <laughs> discipline. And discipline. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you were a social entrepreneur, but at your core is business. Yep, absolutely. You, you got a business to run. Oh, definitely. So what would you advise our audience, our listeners to do to better themselves? First, I'll say relationships, relationships, relationships. People can tell if you're authentically interested in, in who they are. And, and I think for me, it's, it's, it's what you know, but it's mostly who you know. So invest in relationship. Be patient with yourself. The foundation takes a lot of time and hard work. And you have to get that rock from the foundation so that you can be able to set a solid foundation for your business. So give it time. Do not rush. In my culture, we say running isn't arriving. You might lose yourself in the process of running. So take your time. It's the process. And um, the fourth thing is uh, there's always enough. For me, I look at this earth, this world, like an ocean, and you can never take enough buckets of water out of the ocean. So quit competing so much with the next person. Compete with yourself and just know that the ocean has so much. There's a lot of resources available for all of us. And it's more than enough. Uh, Again, when you go into those relationships and you build relationships, the resources will show up. You become who you are in your business. If you really love people, people will love you back. And if you're not a taker, people will also not take so much from you. They'll also be, uh, they'll also give. Uh, Those are my four main things. Yeah. That's awesome. So let me pivot a little bit. Let's talk about facing the giants. 
like again, like I said earlier, it was released just fall of last year. So first, the, the Giants is five years old, as old as Pomolani. Um, I started writing it when I was really at my rock bottom, and I would just brain dump. I started writing. Um, it is it's my love story to all women or men who've gone through any kind of trauma. In their life. It is a book that highlights my personal story as a survivor of childhood sexual abuse in Africa. I told I document how rampant I realized it is as an adult, how it affected my my young adult life, how I I didn't completely heal from it. I'm still healing from, from it, but how I've managed to find tools to become the woman that I am today. So it's very much present day and goes back. It is a book that I wrote for survivors. I also wrote this book for parents who are parenting presently because I'm, I'm currently parenting. I talk a lot of uh, different topics around how we conduct ourselves uh, around our children for women who stay in domestic abuse relationships for the sake of the children, how that affects the children because I grew up in that. I also talk about ways to prevent child sexual abuse. I give a lot of personal and research experiences in the book. So it, it is a, it's a very easy read. I hope some of your listeners can get the book. It is on Amazon, but again, it is my gift to the world. Um, I thought many people go live the earth, this world you know, without, without writing a book. And I wanted to really share my lived experience as well as my, my, my experience in the field. It takes a lot of bravery to expose yourself in paper and then to go publish it. You know, you have to have a certain strength on the inside comfort to be able to do that. And I got to give you kudos um, for having that because your life experience and sharing that the benefit of it to society is huge. It's going to connect with someone, right? It only, it's just one book with one connection is enough of a payback. Thank you. That's exactly, that was my spirit. And, and that was one of the most difficult things to let that book go into the world because it was like taking a piece of my heart and putting it on the dance floor. But after a while, when I get feedback from women, like some of those connections, it's so rewarding. So what's next for Pumalani, for Comfort Dondo, for Facing the Giants? What are we doing next? Yeah, so we are going into, you know, we're going into business development. We're going into um, a lot of housing work. And on to my second book uh, this June, um, I have a second book coming up. Uh, it's called the, uh, the Sacred Promise. I'm so blessed to be surrounded by 35 other women from across the globe. It's what we put in anthology. As far as springtime, I'm excited to be uh, visiting teacher at St. Kate's. So I'm going back where it started. I'm going to be teaching at St. Kate's and I cannot wait to inspire students. It definitely has been on my vision board for the longest time that I would like to go back to St. Kate's and teach. And that dream is coming to life. So a lot of um, fun things happening. We're growing so fast, but um, I'm also growing my team. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to to paint Minnesota purple. I guess that's the color. <laughs> Just improving the quality of Minnesotans, improving the quality of the women and the, and the children that we serve. So yeah, oh, it's so good. It's there's something. Nelson Mandela said there's something about going back to a place where a place where you started and you see how you yourself have changed. So just talking to you every time, it just does it for me. It just reminds me of like women who are consistent. Yeah, you're very consistent with your brand. You're consistent with who you are. Because the way, same way I met you, I found you. And, I, and that's my desire. No matter what, I want to remain consistently who I am. Yep. Yeah, I hope I can do that. Well, And that's the authentic self is what mm-hmm. I like to say. Because if you're, you're always true to self, then it's going to reflect. And sure. you don't have to twist and turn or change the story because yeah. you're all you're you've remained consistent I in know. a different you know in a different platform exactly yep. 
Yep, I get that energy from you. Yeah. (laughs) And I look at the entrepreneurs that have assisted in the Twin Cities and their progress right? Where they were to where they are. And, you know, having zero revenue to having hundreds of thousands of revenue, having no connections to now having connections. A lot of connections. Yeah. And I don't try to claim, hey, you know, I did it all for that person. But I like to say I sprinkled a little fairy dust. No, 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 you you did uh, more than that. But yeah, you just be humble. (laughs) As an entrepreneur, when you can connect, with a mentor, you can connect with someone and all pride, all uh, disguises, you know, for lack of a better term, you're naked mm-hmm. and, and really just being forthright with, I, I need help and this is what I need. And I don't really know what I need, but maybe you can tell me what I need and let me figure this out. And one thing I know about you, Comfort, is you will figure it out. Oh, yes. Trust you, me. Yeah. You just need a structure or you just need a finessing and you'll run with it. And like I said, the the calls that I've received from you, I'm, you know, I'm sitting there going, okay, she's gone there already. I was like, that to me is an amazing thing. And that's, that's my love about your growth. Thank you. Thank you. Because you don't just sit still and expect to be handed everything. No, No, my mentor. Yeah, you were given something and you ran. You are the owner and the author of your joy and happiness and don't expect because the expectation creates a certain energy of needing. And when we're in that space, we can be disappointed. Support will come, but you. So you read the energy very well. And that's how I've operated since I was age nine. And with that, I want to close this episode simply with words of encouragement to you, our listeners. Find your inner strength and persevere through those challenges you face in your business. Learn to collaborate and don't worry so much about competing. Because as Comfort said, the world is an ocean and no amount of buckets of water can fully drain it. Comfort's information will be on our website, procurementgames.org. If you or anyone you know is experiencing domestic or sexual violence, please reach out to her. Next week, we have our Trailblazer episode, and I am excited to have Karen McCabe of McGuff Construction join me in our studios. Finally, remember to smash that like button and share those thoughts and comments with us. And don't forget to go after that low-hanging fruit, but always look up at the rest of the tree filled with ripening fruit, also known as opportunities. Until next time!